If you are curious about trauma, how it manifests down trauma lines, intergenerationally, politically, racially, through men, through women, how that might be different, boy, is today's conversation with Yemi Penn one of the best conversations I've ever had. And you know why? Because we were both brave, brave enough for it to be messy and imperfect and curious enough to show up and trudge through uh, the the reticence to actually cover some of the topics uh, that we cover today and um, the trepidation a lot of people feel around them. So please go into this conversation with us today with grace, knowing that neither of us means any harm, any offence to anyone, but we are two humans showing up imperfectly navigating imperfect messy things. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I am Alex Stewart, your host and the founder of the Lotox Movement. You can learn all about the movement at lotoxlife.com. We have courses, podcasts, millions of recipes by that by now. The Lotox Movement was founded in 2009, believe it or not. I have two TED Talks, two books, uh, and a ton of resources to help you live a life of service to yourself, your family when it comes to health, and also to our beautiful planet home. This podcast is a weekly show that delivers some of the brightest minds across all aspects of low-tox living, food, body, home, and mind, having brave, bold, and big conversations, often pioneering, and it is my greatest pleasure to bring you these every single week. Thank you for being here. And if there's ever a show that moves you or changes your life or makes it easier in some way, I would absolutely love for you to hit that subscribe button. It helps me continue to deliver bigger and bolder conversations every week by having that following committed, uh, which I know so many of you are and I'm so grateful for. So today, Yemi Pen, wow, I knew the minute I came across her work, her TED Talk, that I absolutely wanted to have a conversation with this woman. And I'm going to be doing a few podcasts this year that are much more conversational. Uh, and you can hear from both of us in this conversation, the way we kind of almost talk over the top of each other a few times in that excited new BFF way, uh, that we were so thrilled to both be brave enough to show up for this. Uh, And you will know what I mean as you listen. Now, a prerequisite, I would say, or at the very least, as soon as you've listened to this, is to go and check out Yemi Penn's TED Talk, Y-E-M-I-P-E-N-N, because I use that TED Talk and her experience of abuse by her uncle and how she's then used that to inform her life, both personally, spiritually, and professionally. I use it as a springboard. We don't go into it in today's conversation in depth. So if that was something you wanted to complete the picture of today's conversation, I cannot recommend it enough. It is hard. It is hard to watch. It is hard to hear. But 
As we talk about a few times in today's show, unless we get messy and have brave conversations, uh, it's very hard to interrupt trauma. It's very hard to interrupt uh, dirty trauma, as Yemi refers to it multiple times, uh, and, and circuit break and not pass it on. Uh, whether we're talking uh, in terms of our family lines, racially, culturally, politically. There's so many ways that traumas are repeated and we very much go into her PhD candidacy and some of the, the research that's starting to emerge from her work on the topic there as well as her personal story and then as well as two women, one white, one black, trying to navigate how best to show up in the world and what the other needs from us and likewise. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. She's incredible, uh, a speaker, a researcher, engineer, author, filmmaker, uh, and I, I really uh, would love to see more people connect with her work and her platform. She shares very openly and candidly on Instagram as well, yemi.pen, P-E-N-N, uh, if you want to join her there. So I'm going to hook into that conversation in a little minute. Of course, we couldn't do this show without the wonderful sponsors that we have joining us each month. We have Oz Climate again. If you haven't got that air purifier and dehumidifier for your home yet, Australians, this one's for you, 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE. And I speak extensively on the podcast and on Instagram about different reasons. You want to front end the need for these sorts of appliances, not wait for an event and then scramble to get one when everybody else has realized they need one. And for me, just last week, it was, thank gosh, we have a 50 liter dehumidifier with a big, strong motor because our walk-in robe got flooded by a leaky aircon fault. So uh, enjoy that Oz Climate discount. And if you're not sure what size you need for your home situation or climate, you can always give them a call. The Lotox Life Code also works over the phone. We also have the Natural Bedding Company joining us this month with 15% off and the curated link of what that applies to, you can find in the link in bio and Instagram. You can also find it in today's show notes uh, and you can find it in your Lotox Club member dashboard if you're one of our members. Uh, The Lotox Club is only $49 a month, so that's like less than a coffee. We have masterclasses with past show guests. Uh, We have uh, wonderful perks for our members exclusively, uh, a chat group. I'm answering questions in there all the time. And uh, it's a great way to bring your low-tox life to life. Uh, So that's where you'll find uh, the details on the specifics of what they've curated for us at 15% off. I love the Natural Bedding Company. I love their exquisite showrooms. I love the fact that they're celebrating their 40th birthday this year, that they believe so passionately about local workmanship and quality uh, production, ethics, and of course, being completely low-tox. So if a low-tox bedroom upgrade is part of your current situation, and judging from last week's hectic giveaway that we did with them on socials, it sounds like it is, then use that 50%, the 15% this January and check out what's available because there's some of their wool products that they've never discounted before. So enjoy those. And now enjoy this conversation with Yemi Penn. Yemi, hello. Hi, so glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you on the show. And 
Uh, we have actually been chatting. You're one of those guests that I want to chat to like for three hours before we hit record and then we realise we've both got diaries and commitments and we're actually going to have to record a show. So there is just so much I want to talk to you about because uh, of so many reasons, which I've shared on in the show notes, your incredible TED Talk. And I thought we could start with trauma. Um, and I want to ask you how it informed your early life and what it taught you before you started to choose what you would take from it, because that that must be, I mean, for all of us in lots of different ways that we're impacted by traumatic circumstances and you talk about relativity and, you know, it's not a competition, which I just love. Um, but for you personally, given you are so good at articulating it and and getting people to open up and reflect in their own lives, I would mm. love to hear that journey, that mental journey from you. So I guess I start off with the small print, which is I'm only able to answer these questions in retrospect. I want to mm. really highlight because part of my articulation has been a lot of you know, maybe an overused word, but a lot of deep soul searching. And I think sometimes people think, oh, she knew this back then. I did not. (laughs) I am a very different version to the Yemi that even some people may have met 10 years ago. So when did I, you might need to ask it because there are a few questions in there. (laughs) How, okay. How did it form your early life? Yeah. Okay. So something terrible happened to you. Yeah. And and we do. And I talk about big T, small T, and I, I question that and give the side eye. But there's one particular incident that happened to me as a child, that how it formed me as a child was to be a very silent child, was to be shy, so much so that the shyness graduated into my adulthood, because I thought that's what I was. I'm not. I'm an introvert. I'm not shy. When it comes to speaking up, especially about things that are important to me, I will find my voice. It might shake, but it it will be there. So for me as a child, I was shy. I also found out, and this was mainly my mum, but a lot of elders in the family. Yemi is so respectful. She's so, like, I got a lot of that, which I'm not mad at to be respectful. But it was partly because I'd just taken this thing of don't be seen or heard. It wasn't because I obviously I wanted to be respectful, but most of the time I had something to say, or I was extremely curious. I'm very curious, but I didn't allow that to come out. So I I actually truly believe a lot of my creativity as a child was probably extremely dimmed. Stunted. Yeah. 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 So some of it would have still been there. And I think that's why as an adult, you know, parts of me opening different businesses and what appears to be completely different businesses, like some of them just don't, make any sense on paper is me actually living out the creativity I didn't as a child um so that's how I believe it formed me as a child and I think the period in which I started to get curious and say well how's that working out for you Yemi probably about three decades which is actually short considering how we can go a whole lifetime of anywhere up to nine decades and not getting curious about what happened to us either at childhood or later on um and to be fair I only started to get curious about the trauma and how it was forming me as a child and as an adult because there were a series of patterns um and cycles that kept on showing up and I just thought yeah nah 
I don't want this to keep on going on. So, yeah. yeah. So can I ask you, and I didn't plan to ask you this. Love it. <laughs> Love it. But, uh, you know, here comes tangent number one. <laughs> uh, when I watched your TED Talk, and that's in the show notes for everybody to watch, and when you talked about moving away from home and feeling like perhaps safer in that move uh, because you were away from your abuser and then finding out that they were in town, that I get like I may cry now. It affected me so viscerally so I can't even imagine what being the person who felt those feelings was. Um, Was there like a moment of oh, but I had come so far, I had tasted freedom and now I've been sucked back in to hell. Like it felt like that's what it had to feel like. But then I'm just watching a story, not being in it. You know what, and I this is where I stop and express gratitude, Alex, for the work you do, the platform and, and offering me the opportunity to share because I'm probably going to share things that I have never even given myself the space to do. I've never even reconciled that. And that was, what, over 10 years ago? I mean, some things have happened since then. But I went straight into fight mode. And, you know, my my children call me savage. I'm the most lovable savage you'll find because I can lift you with my word, but I can also take you down. And so I've learned to to not do that. But I'm usually the ball comes out in me, which isn't always healthy. Um, but that was what I felt in some instances when I was backed uh, against the wall. So in this instance, it wasn't flight. It was it was fight. And what I did was just call every single sibling because I realized I did feel like I'd failed others by not speaking up. It was weird that I was still blaming myself, saying, well, damn, you should have you really should have mentioned this more over the past couple of decades just in case he ever showed up because now he showed up and you're not prepared and no one's prepared um and it was when he'd showed up and I found out he was looking after another young girl that 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 was the real thing that I went into fight mode and just called every sibling so I don't even today I just don't don't believe I even stopped and (sighs) there was panic there was panic but it was more about yeah, don't don't let this don't let this leak into other generations. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think gives you the power to to break that pattern uh, to protect people? Like because it's such an awful thing to happen, right? And like the you choose fight, so you use that word fight, why not flight this time? Why not? Because subconsciously, I think I would have acknowledged that I'd already flown. I I would have, and so and and that that and look, a lot of things happen at a deep subconscious level that we cannot even give language to. That I'm only giving language to you today, Alex. Despite this happening, him returning into my area like ten years ago, because I subconsciously would have known. I mean, I'd left the country. So where he had abused these power was in a completely different country to where he had come. So as far as I was concerned, I couldn't have got any further away. So where am I flying to? And truth be told, Alex, truth of the matter is I still, I, I was still flying. I was still in flight because after that I moved to Japan, 
So that was, I actually really did. So mine was a bit of a staged approach. Um, the flight to Australia, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I still would have done it. And, and I think that's something that I find quite interesting with trauma and maybe might come up in my research is I think we think we just choose one of the flight, um, you know, fright, freeze, and I'm sure there's probably more coming through. But I think in different stages, we take a, a couple of different steps to survive. Yeah. Yeah, survival. And so what has the journey looked like for you to move from survival into living? Because they're two very different things, right? You've had kids, you know, that you've created so many beautiful bodies of work. You share so eloquently through your talks. You're now a PhD candidate. So, you know, that's a lot. Yeah. So what, what did, where, where to the point of survival? It's not one in, I think I said it briefly. What we do not, I truly believe that what we do not work through, we hand down to other generations. And whether you have kids or you don't have kids, there's always someone, whether it's a niece, whether it's a friend's kid, you know, if we were to accept that we will not live in these bodies and this capacity for eternity, we are leaving something to someone else. And so there was a part of me really, I believe it was 2017, I was at a development program, like an event. And I just felt, um, I just felt this real deep feeling of the Rosa Parks of the world and the Martin Luther Kings and, and really just started to kind of embody the kind of work they did. And once again, it wasn't me trying to diminish my role, but I started to ask myself, Yemi, what makes you worthy of just benefiting from the work they did and not giving anything back? It wasn't a shame thing. It was just a it was just a real question like that I'd never actually contemplated. So if we think of anybody who's made movements, whether it's for, you know, equal rights, whether same sex marriage, just anything that has been quite controversial in our in our lifetime that really needn't be. The people who have made moves, the question is, why do we get to be the ones who just enjoy the fruits of their labor and not take the baton? and either, I don't know, move for another cause. And that was where my survival went more to, to live in because as a minimum, I owed it to myself as a minimum. And then the others come because I, you know, we hear it all the time. It I, My cup needs to be quite substantially full for me to not only give my kids, but to even think about giving beyond that as well. And so that that was a real awakening for me. And, and to be honest, that was 2017. I remember it very clearly, September 2017. Mm, you shared that quote um, from Linda Tai recently on socials. Oh, I read it and I was like, trauma recovery involves engaging in the risk of living. It is such... Good words put together. Right. So good. Linda Ty, brilliant. Mm. She's actually in Australian, but now living, I think, in Alaska, but she's in the States. Um, I mean, can can you just read that out again? Yeah, let's do it again. Trauma recovery involves engaging in the risk of living. Mm. It's risky. It's risky business living. It is. And Mm. acknowledging it in itself can almost give you just a little bit of reprieve of, oh, I'm not losing my mind. Because most people just think just you should just be able to live, just get on with it. Or just, 
you know, when people talk about being depressed or being anxious, like we just assume it's it's risky business, especially when you're in trauma recovery. I mean, there's so many things in that statement alone that could literally take, you know, a half a day workshop just to, to because you've got to firstly acknowledge that you're in recovery. You've got to then brace yourself to risk going out there and potentially being re-traumatized. It's it's wild. But once we acknowledge it, I actually think there's actually quite a lot of liberation in that. The work continues, but at least you've named it. You've named that you are stepping up daily to participate in, in life. 100%. My trauma has to do with mould mm. and uh, medical gaslighting, ah. uh, financial stress from having to move a lot from an illness no one understands and half of Sydney is mouldy. So... It's uh, it's not the easiest town to find uh, a mould-free home. And I noticed in my own experience of literally hitting rock bottom where you think you're going to die, but no one being able to figure that out and people making you feel silly about it, which is just, I really hope way less humans go through that feeling because it's a shocker. Um. I I remember just starting to want to make my world really small, like really little and safe and do very little and see very few people. And, um, and then when I started actually being curious about just interviewing people and discussing trauma, I realised what people who go through medical and financial traumas experience and how how many more people that then involves in the psychological processes of re-engaging in the risk of living that don't even know that they have perhaps made their lives teeny tiny and safe. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because so, there'll be a theory of I don't want to because I don't want to risk having to go through this again. My gosh, exactly. Uh and so what does risk taking look like for you on a day-to-day basis? Like what sort of stuff comes up where you think, oh, no, I probably, oh, gosh, God, that's a bit too much. And then you just get on an Insta Live or you uh, make that phone call. Like I think we've all got to talk about this more yeah, we because do. I've started talking about it more and I just think it's um it's a really fascinating piece of whole life living yeah honestly the type of risks I take are so um the contrast is huge and so bear Mm -hmm. with me I'm Mm -hmm. taking a risk speaking to you now like I there are a few things because I'm trying to have dialogue in my brain as to whether it is now morally and politically acceptable for me to say certain things so I'm already at risk of potentially not necessarily being cancelled, but someone having a different opinion to me, because that could trigger me. (laughs) That's the truth. We've now got to a point that someone just thinking differently can really trigger us. And I'm really intrigued in this ideology that we are all to carry the same belief systems, but I digress. (laughs) Or all to at least choose a camp yes correct in which to plant yourself correct. to carry yes. the same yes. belief system Co- as those correct. people forever yeah <laughs> so exactly. you're not allowed to change I always say polarization is the enemy of us all yeah yeah we are not each other's enemy yeah. that is my love it I will die on the hill saying yeah that. yeah and I just that think... would hold us in good stead if we could if, if we, we could, could live by it yeah, yeah. correct mm. um 
another risk I feel like I'm about to go into like I actually think I've been quite um, mellow over the past two years because I'm doing my PhD some risks I've taken is just breaking paradigm so you know I'm predominantly at least 90% of the time a single parent to my two kids their fathers live in different parts of the world and whenever I've moved away from doing the traditional nine to five that's a risk it's a risk because I want to be in a position to provide for them financially, to give myself joy through freedom of choice. Um, that's that's a risk. The last time, the biggest risk that came up for me that really shook me that I think I'm only just recovering was when I got um, I got approached to apply for Survivor Australia. Oh wow! Right, this was last year. <laughs> it was wild. Did you do Alex. It? Um, well. I love watching Survivor. Yeah. I love giving my opinions on what they should and should like, not Like, can do. you believe right? she turned left there? What right. The... Yeah. So that's me. That's me giving all sorts of advice from the sofa. Um, but I never thought I could be good or good enough to do it. And the minute mm-hmm. that opportunity came up, I just thought also this is your test. And I did a really good job of semi-sabotaging it towards the end, partly probably why, you know, I got to the end of meeting all the producers. They even had someone who didn't go through and they called me to be the, you know, it was the backup, the backup. which I didn't mind. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think internally there was a bit of sabotage. But I bring this up because the risk was to be seen on a pretty big level. And even though I want to do big work in the world, I don't even think I was ready then. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. Is it safe for me to be me? What happens if the producers change the narrative? And I, I question them on that. So I, I don't see myself as a, as a controlling person of other people, but there is a part of me that still wants to control my own environment. I want to control the narrative. And the truth of the matter is sometimes I won't. I've got people who do not like me. I've got people who don't, uh, yeah, I know I've either I've worked with and they weren't happy with some of the decisions. So I've got to live with that. But this one was big because I've seen what happened. So, you know, I think there are different levels of risk. My risk is talking to you. My risk was this, this desire I have to have global impact, yet potentially sabotage the opportunity to be seen on a wide scale. So... Yeah, it it varies depending on what it is you want to achieve as well. It varies. Yeah. And do you think something that just popped into my head there is sometimes you have to, because I had that desire as well, big platform, big change, keep going somehow. I mean, I've wanted to change the world since I was 16. Never knew how that would look. But when a 16-year-old Alex used to sit on a rock with her then, um, you know, musical bestie and we wanted to be like Bono and Geldof. It's just mm. such a white saviour story, isn't it? How awful talking to a gorgeous black woman and, and saying that. But um, but we did. We thought that that was yeah, a great absolutely. way to be of service. You go as, by what you can see and what you yeah. have. Yeah. Um, you know, I had my prejudices, ignorance uh, thing on my bedroom wall and I just knew I wanted a better world than the one I was seeing. And that's taken some really interesting little turns in terms of how I've shown up. But to your point about risk is what I want to jump in here and maybe just put out there is don't you sometimes think that you've got to take a ton of, it's almost like trial risks that means like it's not necessarily even the right thing to do sometimes 
but it's almost like triage to get you to where you're supposed to go. Absolutely. Oh, mm. a- absolutely. I mean, whether I think I sabotaged that particular Not that experience. I'm saying you shouldn't have no, been no. on Survivor. I'm sure you would have been <laughs> well, amazing. I think I would have. I think comedy value is a minimum I would have, only because I'd have just been like Tom Hanks on what's that movie where he's speaking to a ball because he's out on an island. I definitely would have gone there. Yeah. But no, I, I, I truly believe we do. Who is it? Richard Branson's mother. You're guaranteed, maybe somebody else said it, but you're guaranteed to miss the shot you don't take. So this idea of taking opportunities and it, most of the time it is never your end it's just the continuation the whole survivor experience actually really opened up to me that I actually was willing to go on something large scale it's just that can I have more input into the narrative I didn't like the fact that there'll be so much control I'd be given to the edited pieces of me yes I can't control everything but the point is it going through the process and not trying to shut it down myself was actually a really big part of getting to know who I am and what my my desires are and and taking risk i mean i write it in in my book which i think we have to redefine what risks are we really do we really need to redefine it you know i now sit my biggest fear my biggest fear is dying without letting my loved ones know that they are loved considering i'm kind of guaranteed not to know when i'm going to die or how it's imperative I tell them I love them every opportunity I get. So that fear is is reduced drastically. And if I'm about to take a risk that is unlikely to bring me closer towards my fear, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. Oh, I love that. So good. Um, okay. I want to ask about trauma lines because... On your Insta, I saw recently, you shared this, no amount of killing will give you the peace you deserve. And I guess what I took from that is we could extrapolate that across um, no amount of abusing will give you the peace you deserve, you know, to people who then repeat abuse through generations or next relationships or where, how do we get things to end with us? How do we circuit break? Yeah. What have you found in your life, in the research you're doing, in your PhD? What is coming up that can help us actually learn applied history instead yeah. of repeating history? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it can almost leave you into this stupendous laughter that we have so much data and history yet we just mm. avoid all its clues all um, of it all of it mm. oh, I feel this with my whole being and this was research before I started my academic research I feel part of the answer is for us to clean our trauma our own individual trauma it's not just a series of buzzwords it comes from a guy resume mannequin he uses it talks about clean and dirty pain um because what he's acknowledging is that we have a choice. If something happens to us, we could actually turn to be that person that says, you know what, this happened to me, so I'm going to make sure it happens to other people. It also doesn't help that most systems across the world have been based on punitive punishment. And I I sometimes struggle because I make sure I hold a double side, especially when I'm either sharing my teachings with other people, which is, well, Yemi, what part of this system have you bought into? And I do it with my kids. 
there is sometimes, you know, fair enough, they're not going to jail, but their jail could be in your bedroom, could be grounded. But what is it? So I, I don't want to just do this as a they, they, they. I have to point at myself as well. How much of high, how much have I bought into this? And what would it look like if there was a change? And so for me, the beginning is cleaning our trauma because if we just stopped and looked, what happened to us? You know, this came up with um, was it Luke? Oh no, Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, they wrote that book as opposed to asking oh, people, God, you know, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Mm, what happened? What happened? To you? Yeah. What happened to you? Such because an that, important change. Isn't it? I mean, it changes mm. the whole dynamic of, of how this other person even feels and therefore can share. And it's a powerful question to ask in, in prisons. What happened to you? Um, because if we are able to just digest that and with the wisdom and the knowledge we have today, appreciate that it may have been different back then, but today, because when we know better, we be and do better, we can start to figure out that a lot of it is not actually our fault. Mm. Moves us from this inadequacy, this brokenness, to something to get to know more about. Correct, correct. And, and move and, through. And honestly, Alex, I... I have an innate feeling and I'm still going through my research. So not in a position to, to maybe share some of the data that's coming out is trauma has different definitions around different parts of the world. Mm. You know, my mum is the least tactile person I know. I, she doesn't do hugs pretty confident. I haven't heard. I love you, but I know she does. But when I gave birth to my daughter, this woman was all over me. She was kind of, I'm going into the bath to take a bath and she's right behind me because she wants to give me a bath and pat me down and massage me and take the hot flannel. And she did the same for my daughter. And I was you're like, uh, who are you, woman? I'm lost. <laughs> I'm I, sorry. Do we know why? each other? <laughs> I, and, and thankfully, I was able to mumble out some words of, oh, oh so why, why do we do this? And she said, because you and the baby have just gone through and experienced trauma. Oh, so no. without even having had further dialogue with her, something so beautiful as giving birth, you know, creating life, giving life still has trauma attached to it. Yet there's this kind of one sided term we have now I'm not to suggest that that needs to change completely but I'm really interested in different cultures so I actually think how we perceive these things needs to change or have different dimensions but when we get curious about what we went through and and work through and, and I'll tell you now that so far in my research shame is a, is a big theme that's coming up with trauma probably people could have known that before any research but if we give it a name then we can work through it but cleaning it doesn't mean necessarily that we completely erase it. It just means we do not blow unhealed, dirty trauma through other people. And that doesn't always have to mean that you do exactly what was done to you. It could be how you respond to stuff. My daughter was going through stuff in her early teens and I disassociated, meaning it got too hard. I left my body, I left my mind and was pretty much going to pretend that we could deal with it by having um, ice cream and watching Netflix. Mm. that's another way of blowing dirty trauma through others. So it's not always I'm going to do to you what you did to me. And I think working through our own trauma allows us to have a different level of empathy for ourselves, which is just a direct reflection of our empathy for others. Mm. And and that I, I believe that's how we work through trauma lines. Yeah, wow. I love what you said there about things got tricky and so Netflix and ice cream with a solution. Um, and I think, you know, 
it's what junk food and uh, take your mind off it, binge watch type media. And look, there are, you know, before we hit record, I was just talking about some of the benefits of sitcoms from the 80s that, um, that our kids miss out on with these quick short videos these days, seeing kids do all the things that kids do and talking to their parents about it. But um, I think that's really interesting because it's almost just replaces the dirty trauma with um, just really unuseful attachments yeah. to things to fix Correct. our problems. Yeah, and it gets muddled up. Like, yeah, you know, what was it? Um, well, we yeah. get ads about this. You Correct. Know, have, you need a break. You're feeling yeah. a bit stressed. Have a yeah. freaking Kit Kat. I mean, yeah. what the hell is that? <laughs> You just do some breathing. Right. The program is a cup of herbal tea, right? And just jump into nature for a bit and just calm right down. Just be still. We've productized. We have everything as a solution to everything. Mm. Yesterday was a bit of emotional eating for me, i.e., I was not hungry. (laughs) But, (laughs) and I had to go back and figure out what was it that happened? Something would have triggered me. But when you have all these things of YouTube, Instagram, when they all come in, before you know it, you you completely forget that, oh, you got triggered because an email came through and now you're a bit anxious about what's going to happen. But with all those things in between, you never get to the bottom of that to be able to unpack it and, you know, not eat a whole pack of biscuits. No shame, just acknowledging that that was unnecessary. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, wow. And so... Can I ask you, I don't know if you've researched this, but I wonder whether for women, at least in many cultures, there is more of a propensity to share information and talk for men less so um, and how it can therefore sometimes be more common for men to continue trauma lines than women and that's like almost why then we see this in warlike um perpetuity instead of um you know collaborative discussion roundtable ways that if lots of chicks were in charge we might have a different way of of a, a, a different hope of actually um disturbing and and breaking some of those trauma lines i i really don't think we need data or academic research you've kind of just summarized it beautifully I think um you know and I I don't know how far your listeners go but if people delve into me they'll find my history never would have gone down this path but when I went to Costa Rica to take part in some ceremonies where more with indigenous cultures one deep thing that came up for me was pain for for men in particular and for me it was actually pain of the men that I've had close relationships with the fathers of my my kids and um, how some of my actions, though it was not about them, it was more about saving me, probably really hurt them even more. Um, once again, it's not to take that responsibility for them, but for myself and how my fear made me do things to a different extreme than I typically would, and therefore how it further impacted them. And that's part of the cleaning trauma. It really does require you to go deep, no blame, but just say, let me look at this with a different lens. So in in summary, I think, or in short, Yes, women, I think, speak more across many cultures. I think it's always been women's business to a certain extent. You know, even if we were to, you know, give patriarchy a bit of airplay now, we we were kind of maneuvered into that. 
you know, my history might not go far back. So whether that was strategically or just by way of a byproduct, speaking was something we did and we didn't necessarily encourage psychologists that I was working with really encouraged me with having a boy and a son to when I ask him, how was your day at school? Rather than just leave it as fine, just go a bit deeper. What did you enjoy in your pack lunch? What was the funniest thing you did? Just to encourage, because sometimes these things go through DNA. Like it's not just about, you know, people talk about nature, nurture. There are some things that literally you genuinely do in, inherit. And um, one thing that has come out in my research is, you know, looking for participants to share their stories. Um, the, the men who have volunteered just haven't shown up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they've either cancelled last minute and it's not that many because my sample size is, is not, is not big. And I would dare not say it's a big representation of Australia, but it's definitely a detailed group or content for want of a better word. And I, I find women are, are more willing to share mm. than men. You often hear just over the years talking with girlfriends about relationship troubles or, you know, I had a big fight with my boyfriend or my husband and you often hear that they'll say, and then he said, well, I can't help it. That's how I am. Mm. And I, I wonder whether there's, do we give men less of a vocab for yeah. evolution, personal evolution? Do we give them less of an opportunity to explore what that would look like without so-called showing weakness? Yeah. Well, we, um, I we, just... def we definitely took vocab away, but remember that they are doing what they needed to have done to survive. I mean, most of derogatory words that came about from if a man was to ever be in touch with what we would have called then feminine side as opposed to just saying a human side. Um, if I go tap into my research, when I was looking into trauma, there was quite a few decades where the talk of trauma was minimized. Like it feels like it's come up quite, you know, in depth and detail since 2020 and maybe even a little bit before. But it used to be re referred to as shell shot for obvious reasons in the war. But what happened was a, a British um, military person, can't remember, might have been a general, actually banned the term shell-shocked because it was reducing the morale of military veterans who needed to go to war. So if you just take a little bit of time and go back and you had people who went to war, even though they were scared, they were traumatized, they couldn't talk about it because it, it reduced the morale and they needed to be in this kind of... So that's been, that's been happening for decades, centuries. So even though we say we've given them less vocab, um, it's what they've needed to do to survive and for some because reason, we're stuck in this warlike correct, correct dynamic correct yeah and mm. I think a tide is changing and probably not at the pace we need it to yeah um but yeah absolutely yeah wow if anyone's interested in unpacking a bit more of that, uh, I chatted to Charles Eisenstein last oh, year about how on earth we can make a bridge from warlike society to gift-like society, and it, it's pretty—it's a pretty amazing epic uh, topic to to unpack, really, because we're all trying to, as you say, you know, the most powerful way we can do any of the work to change things is by going, hello, me, um, what what can I do to evolve? What can I do to be um, more compassionate, less judgmental, um, break some of my trauma lines by unpacking them and, and 
chatting to trusted friends and family members who can help me do that or professionals. Yeah. Mm. And it's not to be snuffed at. I really, I just, maybe this is my own kind of voice speaking, but we shouldn't underestimate that when we do that, uh, we're just, our ability to listen to other people's stories, it, it just, it deepens. And I believe our ability to make change happens a lot quicker as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yemi, you've been through a lot. Uh, and so many of us have. In so, I mean, you know, if we were to collect all the stories of all the people listening today, we would all go, oh. Yeah, we just close up shop, mate. That's Jesus. all we do. <laughs> okay. like everybody go home, <laughs> take a long nap. That's what we do. There aren't enough cups of tea in the world. <laughs> right. Um, but something I know I struggle with, and I was so, I wasn't thrilled, actually, that's absolutely the wrong word, Um, but I was comforted by the fact Mm. that you were struggling with this and trying to unpack it, because I did on socials recently as well, Mm. was we go through bad things as individuals and to look at, you know, it was, and that takes a lot of different shapes, faces, stories. And then really, really awful things are happening to people. Uh, I remember reading uh, in our Toxic Mould Support Group, sexiest mm. group on the internet. Um, <laughs> it's got such it a great name, doesn't well, it? Real, it? Real ring it. to it. <laughs> um, but there was actually someone who was uh, taking refuge in a very unsafe place where there was bombing going on. And it was mould infested and she was trying to recover from uh, mould toxicity. And she was asking for advice on what she could do, having to go into this bomb shelter several times a day to try and not get sick. And I thought, my God, I'm just thinking about where I can position my dehumidifier to not get active mould growth in my Sydney apartment and this is what this person's going through. And, and when you see these global conflicts, but they've got nothing to do with your, technically with your daily life, you're trying to run your business, making your kids lunchbox, uh, trying to put up some helpful content to your um, community online, things that have nothing to do with that. And yet because the way media is now, because of our globalised world, We have intimate details of suffering so far away from us and in such regular um, uh, waterfalls, really. I mean, I could name 10 conflicts right now. Um, How do you reconcile moving through, you know, do you ever have a day where you think, God, what right do I have to talk about my pithy little story when, like, because I have that regularly but at the same time recognize entirely that I need to talk myself off the ledge think about circle of influence think about the difference you can make to better people's lives in your sphere and regain empowerment there but it's a struggle right and I just wanted to talk about it because I know so many people feel the same way yeah oh it is and once again power to name in it um I'm not going to say anything overly profound, but the vibration and I guess my ancestors who work with me when I do these podcasts and I speak, they they come in. Part of our work, especially with trauma, is to come back into our bodies. And that means we must feel. 
and finding the line that doesn't have us completely leave our bodies is the work for us to do. Because if I go back to the history I know of my ancestors, whether we go back to slavery, and for anyone who's listening and might be struggling, just tap parts of your body if you need to just remind yourself you're safe, is I tell myself when I struggle with what's happening today across all the conflicts in the world, is that there was a time when people were so disembodied, i.e. they were so removed from themselves that they could watch heinous crimes happen to people. But because we've all as a collective maybe been safe in our environments, we dare not even think about that, that we've probably convinced ourselves that that doesn't happen today. And so what happens is we just, we can't deal with any level of discomfort. And if we can't even assume that, then how do we expect to help those causes? And I say this so delicately because this, I think this is new for majority of humanity. I really do think it's new. I could be wrong. You know, I'm in my early 40s and I think I've been pretty observant over the past decade. It's new for a lot of us to actually deal with this consistent barrage of pain. That was very new. It was was in a book before. Correct. You know, that is way less humanized than in a I'm coming to you live Live, from this war zone. That is, it's a very different um, level of consciousness. Yeah. And that's Um, why, sorry, go ahead. No, no, and I I sometimes wonder, and again, treading super lightly here as well, whether it's useful to the progress of peace for us to be paralysed by so much awfulness always happening. Because if you consuming, the more consuming you do, the more helpless you feel, the more paralysed you feel, and then the less likely we are to actually do something, I sometimes think. But that's the challenge and it is and it is the work. It's, you're right, it's finding the balance so that you're not completely um, terrorised to fear. Mo Gordot might be his name, Smart Talk, maybe that's what it's called, but he's talking about technology. And one of his theories, having been the, it might have been the COO of Google X, was with all the stuff we see coming on social media, that considering apparently AI is here to stay and, you know, whether people resist it or don't like it, let's just say it's here to stay. We are going to need to start to flood that platform with more goodness, with more peace. So I hear what you're saying, but unless we are part of a new revolution or a change that, that I don't know, manages how we get all this information and data that we're flooded with, we are going to have to change the narrative of what's coming out. So for those of you who feel useless and and feel like I'm not doing anything, I think there's an element of gratitude we need to have that we, we don't feel the pain others are having and we can send love and empathy. But then if you're also a change maker, an activist, an influencer, then put that, put that stuff out. And it does mean you've got to risk living. There is. And, and that's why I say that work is, it's that balance. Um, I know I, I'm beginning to understand my window of tolerance more. I know when it's too much. I mean, there was, there's a post I've put of, of me doing one of the most ugliest but necessary cries. And I had so much turmoil with myself. I said, why am I putting this on social media? What, you know, why am I looking for sympathy? And I just didn't want to cry alone. 
I didn't. I was in my car. I didn't want to cry alone. And, and that's part of my work is radical honesty. How can I be honest, whether you agree with me or not, that this is my truth in this moment? And how can I not be alone in the process? And doing that was cathartic for me, but my goodness, cathartic for hundreds of other people who commented. So if that is your work and sometimes you can and you feel the call, you you do it. I also like, you know, a little bit of Abraham Hicks who says, um, you can't help poor people by being poor. I know it's not that straightforward, but you know, we can't bring peace into the world if we don't even bring peace in our homes or in our communities. So start, start there. Um, yeah, yeah. No matter how micro it is, I, it really does. It adds up. And I've I've seen movement in the past couple of, of weeks and months that I've never seen before, a lot slower and a bit worryingly so, but it's gained momentum. Yeah. Oh, I, I I think it has too. I shared a, something that I thought was just a silly little share of my uber positive, optimistic outlook and my little morning. Someone quipped at me and old me would have taken on that energy and felt like, oh gosh, I really should have moved to the left sooner. And I mean, for God's sakes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being alive. I'm sorry for stepping As I myself. As I often laugh with um, my family, you know, growing up with a British dad, you just yeah. apologise for things that don't even exist. Um, it's very British. Oh, uh, and yeah. I can tell from your accent you've probably yes, been affected yes, by the same culture. Yes, So, um, but I say, you know, the way I counteract that and the way I've always taught people to do it in facilitation, at training sessions is you are always going to meet an asshole probably every single day so what can you put out there that's positive to counteract that energy a little compliment cute dog lovely flowers and it really resonated with people I think we're all looking for just that reminder of the power of choosing to push a different energy out yeah, yeah. I mean, as a starting a, point. Absolutely. Yes. But as a starting point, like it doesn't, mm. you know, sometimes I overwhelm myself. Oh, but yeah, me, you've got your do. It makes a difference. I just had, you know, my end of year with my strategist and said, what brought me joy this year? And it's the impact. It's the mm. feedback that people have said. And it, it, it makes a difference. I mean, imagine 8 billion people saying, oh, there's nothing I can do to change mm. the world. I know. Yeah. We can. That's it. You can. We can. We really we can. can. Just one step at a time. Hundred percent. So you mentioned your ancestors, and I love that pause where you think, "Okay, that's coming through." Before you spoke, and I want to ask you about colonialism because we obviously just had a rip roaring, <laughs> resounding no vote here in Australia, uh, and you know we can talk about all the reasons why that happened and shitty comms and no one really, I mean, it, it was an appalling campaign to my mind uh, if the yes is what we wanted. Um, but what what really uh, has, um, I guess, stuck with me the most was sitting with an Indigenous person recently at a conference I was speaking at and she was attending and she, I, I I just asked her, how are you doing? How was that for you? How has this been? Um, and she said the hardest thing was 
telling my my little kids that we didn't get it because her little boy said to her, do we get to be a part of the group yet, mummy? I mean, right? And she said, not yet, darling. We've still got a bit more work to do. And and so I, I guess I want to ask you, as a descendant of colonisers um, and you being one of being colonised, um, how can we all be helpful to each other when we're affected by these sorts of things? And, and it, you know, I, I get someone just wants to be very simplistic with their narrative and say, but I didn't do anything wrong. So I don't see why we can't just move on. I, I actually get that someone wants to keep things that simple, but it isn't that simple. I don't think if we really want to heal trauma lines, we really have to see and listen and go far out, man. That is awful. I acknowledge and see and hear how horrific that must have been for you and your ancestors. I, I mean, it has to be that we start there, right? But I want to ask you your advice. Uh, what would you suggest if we get opportunities to, as we've been talking about, like starts with me, let's not wait for politicians and sign, seal, delivered kind of moments. What does it actually look like from a day-to-day to heal those sorts of colonised, colonised yeah. Trauma lines. So this is a butt clenching type of question. It is butt clenching that I love. Um, But you know, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Good. But 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 that right. (laughs) (laughs) But that but that's what it is. We start by having the conversation. For you to even ask the question, and I'm sure you probably did a big dance around in your mind as to what word should I use. Well, you're still coming to the arena. Yeah, thank you for (laughs) saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Half the time you think. Well, shit, yeah. I'm a white person. Is that the word I should use? Uh, should I even yeah. ask about this? Yeah. Should I, is that even, is yeah. that going to make someone upset with me? And yeah. I just think I'm so, as you started with saying, sometimes, you know, risk is actually just accepting that not everyone's going to think you asked that Correct. question the same way right, or the right way yeah. or that you probably offended a whole bunch yeah. of people out yeah. there. And I just think, God, if we keep worrying about that, then we're never going to have the done. chats Correct. that actually get us understanding different perspectives. Yeah. yeah. And, and and Grace, I talk, I say this in every the beginning of every keynote, if you can give me a bit of grace that there's a possibility that I get something wrong, but if you can just check in and dial in with me that my intent was not to harm, you usually know. So just pause long enough for that. I also understand that there's, you know, people have rage and it's valid for especially people who may have felt things for a very long time, but I think that's where we know how to boundary up. Prentice Hemphill says, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me. Um, Meaning that if someone's in a lot of pain, I can hold grace for me not to get upset, but I also love me and know when I do not need to be at the butt of potential dirty dirty trauma. Now, there was a lot in that, but, you know, always happy to share that different. But so coming back to colonization, I think the first thing is 
for us to have the conversation to get really brave. And you're right, you said, you know, we can't always wait on politicians. You know, I, I nominated myself to be one of the um, 12 women of New South Wales. And even though it's just not about women, but it's the impact I wanted to have as a woman. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't I didn't get um, shortlisted, but it, it was to try to see if there was anything I could do in politics. But I think it's got to be grassroots. I really do think communities and... <sighs> And there will be someone, I have some ideas, but I probably need to leave it after my PhD. But for us to start doing stuff at a community-based level, and whether that's in organizations, businesses, I don't know, we need to figure out what that is, but to at least start having the conversation. I want to put something out that I have not practiced yet. So I'm going to ask for grace for those who listen to this in the near future and beyond. If I have an uncle who was an abuser, Am I by default to be associated with his sin, his crime, his impacts? It's something I think about, and I'm just going to leave that there for a second. So especially as I'm doing my PhD with a decolonizing lens, one thing I picked up with trauma as well, because the biggest trauma I've experienced in Australia is racial trauma, my kids and I. But what I found out is that whenever I was explaining my issue to somebody else, most of the time, non-Black, Indigenous or people of colour, so mainly white people, even though they were there, they weren't really there. They couldn't hear or see me. And so I got curious as to why they had left the building when I was talking about this and possibly because they hear it a lot and don't know what to do about it. Now, I know it's not everyone's job to soothe and please people who don't get it, but I held empathy for them. And this is where light workers and saints and, and people are, more of these people are needed. And I will class myself as one of them who can just have a little bit more empathy for those who do not know. And what I started to find out is, can you imagine a white person who grew up extremely poor, potentially, I don't know, they could be descendants of the convicts that were sent over here. Um, they could have had family members have limbs taken for stealing because they couldn't afford. Now, once again, I make it very clear that this is not an oppression Olympics. I'm not trying to say one or the other, but what I had to do was just try to maybe understand someone's story as to why my racial oppression is not as important to them as I'd like it to be. And it's because they're still cleaning their own shit or they haven't even acknowledged it or they were even told they cannot acknowledge it because they were given the immediate privilege of being white under this weird, um, weird ideology that being white meant everything was hunky dory when there's still so much to be done. And there are so many layers in this. And this is why I said I need grace, because I haven't no one. No one has been brave enough to ask me this question. So the first thing is we need to bring the conversations to the table. We are going to need to exercise grace like no other. Otherwise, we are not getting anywhere. If you are descendants of colonizers, understand a little bit more where that came from. That does not mean that you are them. Because my uncle may have abused does not mean I'm him. However, if I am to continue in the dirty trauma of his acts by either ignoring it, and ignoring is one, had I ignored what my uncle did to me and what he potentially could have done, unfortunately did do to my niece. I'm part of it. I'm not him, but I'm part of, I'm part of it continuing. So I wanna make that really clear distinction that I think shame and trauma resilience is something that we need to start embodying a bit more because we are all linked to something. 
But first, we have to stay in our bodies to have the conversation. Then we have to get curious about our history. And then we have to figure out, well, what can I do about that? And there will be voices that are speaking. If yours isn't the voice that feels strong enough, elevate those who are. Contribute and support the work of those who are. And I promise you things will open because another thing I do not hear enough white people saying and possibly because they may have been far removed from it is your own ancestry line. Um, but my goodness, that'll be a conversation for another <laughs> podcast. So, so many things in that, but I think whatever people needed to get from that will, but let's build our shame resilience so that we can create that peaceful world and that low tox life that you so beautifully talk about in, in all these conversations. Um, but shame resilience for us to get there. And I'm asking for saints and light workers and whatever you want to call yourself to continue to exercise grace mm. so that we can get there. And so could it be that we, I really like how you've said a couple of times, Yemi, um, just give me the grace because I haven't rehearsed this yet or haven't practiced this. Or I haven't said this yet. So it might, I, I don't mean any harm. And I think starting conversations like that, that we're not entirely feeling ready or brave enough. Uh, or like we will definitely not offend with any choice of words to have might actually be the the kind of say yes and figure it out later kind Correct. of approach. Yeah, because mm. the, the safe option is to just not say anything. Mm. And considering that's, that's our main mode of communicating and then it's it, we, we're just going to go backwards. And, and mm. I needed to. And it was, you know, everything I just shared was was messy and a bit cluttered, but it was with intent to integrate and to heal and to bring peace and it will refine over time but those who need to hear it will hear it so that they can go do the work they need to do Mm, love that yeah for me one of the big things is to just try and connect as well um because other keeps us not understanding not hearing not having the opportunity to learn um and yeah it keeps you safe (laughs) but it keeps the news being what it is and it keeps polarization flourishing and uh and it's not productive certainly not peaceful that's what we need more of correct yeah Yeah. so we did we need to do something different Mm. so i want to now ask about uh judgment Um, and judging ourselves and our loved ones judging us. Um, Weight, beauty, ideals, something you talk about a lot. Um, And I often wonder whether some of the parental judgment stems from, oh, life would just be so much safer for my child or easier for my child if they were a size 10 or if they, you know, worked on their prettiness more, wearing nice outfits or if they were really clever at school. So I'm going to really push them beyond what they feel capable or interested in. Um, Like I, I think there's a safety in some of the judgments we pass like we're trying to find safety Perfect. and that's yeah. why we're judging yeah <laughs> so you see how you just squinted your face because that's oh. like make it make sense <laughs> it's so toxic <laughs> make it make sense oh gosh so how i did are plant- you moving through the oh, whole judgment, judgment thing mate. 
Um, I briefly mentioned I went and sat with Indigenous elders in Costa Rica mm. and I did plant medicine. Um, and Which one? Ayahuasca. Uh-huh. Or ayahuasca, however people pronounce it. And, um, you know, I'm someone who's never done drugs. I've tried one cigarette in my life. I have a glass of wine a month. So when I talk about wanting to control mm. my senses and faculties, I'm top notch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even though I was fully aware <laughs> of what was going on, whew, but the one thing I asked to release, I, I usually ask, tell me what is it I need to know? And my purging was whew, intense. And what I purged was judgment. So I just mm. want to, I guess I just want to confess here that although I don't, I'm nowhere near as judgy as I used to be, it's it's judgment. And in in going through that purge in Costa Rica gave me insight to actually how much it's running my script subconsciously and consciously. Mm. I mean, everything. So like an example, just something completely random that comes to mind right now. Firstly, my children, I realize I, I judge my children quite, and not as in, oh, you do this, you do that. I really want to highlight, like I'm I'm removed from that first level. I'm now working the subconscious level of my judgment mm-hmm. because I want to protect them. My son has a stammer. He's got a stutter. The, mm-hmm. the things I need to work through to not try to correct him to be anything other than himself, just so that socially he integrates as well as I would like him to do. So even it's not the kind of finger points in judgment, but it's the judgment of, oh, there's another way to be than how you are showing up naturally. Mm. That that's so, so, oh, so right. Wow. Right. Yeah. So I I want to make it clear that my and I'm not no better than anybody else, but I, I'm now I'm now behind the, the surface judgment. Mine is is a different one, which is well, why are you trying to alter that? That's how he is. So mm. I get to the point as I use my small print, I have this small print I share when I'm on stage, which is these are the things about me that I'd like you to know, because I think it would allow us to get on with each other a lot more. I have a potty mouth. I've done really well not to swear on your show so far. <laughs> really well I just want to pat myself Bravo. back for that mm-hmm. um but I share some of this and so I do the same with my son say so these these are some things I have no shame about it but I'm conscious that it might frustrate other people um but you know that's that's for you but I, I want to let you know this is me so that's one of one of the judgments the other judgment I have uh oh, my body I'm, I'm still working with my body like you know even though I don't say anything my body inside I'm like oh yeah me come on get it together that's a judgment get it together, put down the crisp, put down. So there's a little bit of that in there. And so what I try to just change it with is, damn body, thank you so much for holding me. Thank you for holding me during this period. Thank you for loving me, even when I don't put the most nutritious food in, in my mouth. Like I just change it, but it's 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 daily. It's, I mean, that I'm sure there's a few judgments that have already come up for me. I'm looking at the camera and thinking, damn, is Alex going to put this as a video on a thing? Did I cream my face properly? Do I look? <laughs> dry do I look like in all of that like it's not me attacking me but it's me once again just not being um but the best way once again I think to work through our judgment is to clean our trauma Mm -hmm. it's just it's to clean our trauma it's the minute you know people said yeah how come you're so confident when you're on the stage it's because I used to judge people who were on the stage and so the minute I realized that oh there's a judgy yemi out there whenever I went on stage I was like oh I hope there ain't a judgy yemi there who's gonna say oh she stammered she bit she said um 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 so many times so I started giving love to everybody that's on stage oh they must be nervous sending them love oh okay interesting okay they fumbled smile at them 
clap mm. at the end and then I thought oh there's a loving Yemi in the audience and so now I just show up as me and just I know as a minimum there is somebody like Yemi who's going to give me love when I fumble oh I love that mm. that's that been powerful is, for me that is very powerful for mm. all of us yeah. and just thinking like how would I want someone to show up for me is that how I'm showing up right yeah. now in this situation no it is not yeah yeah and then that awareness is a circuit breaker in and of itself. Ah, love that. So good. Okay. Last question, last theme of our conversation, rebelliousness. I absolutely love that you use this word in such a positive light because if we think about rebellion Historically, it is, you know, people try and quash rebellions, try and stop them, try and hold them back, uh, try and silence them. So it's actually been about oppressing. And you talk about rebellion as a beautiful, powerful, positive characteristic to harness and cultivate. And I think that is awesome. Because I think we all have a little rebellious something that could do with a bit of firepower in all of our lives. And it's going to be so different from each of us, right? So I just kind of wanted to ask you what um, that looks like for you right now. How are you growing your rebellious spirit in a positive way? Especially as I come towards the end of my PhD, um, I've started to feel constricted. Uh, does that mean I have to go back to previous ways of working? And the rebellion in me says, yeah, me get curious. What narrative are you following? Have you forgotten that you hold the pen and you can write this, this, you know, it seems small, but it's such a big act for me to change. So the biggest act for me is going to be going back to the dreams I had that used to scare me. Um, it made me uncomfortable and I'm debating whether I want to go into that level of discomfort. I went to go watch Beyonce's Renaissance documentary, which really fueled me up again because just watching yeah. her as a businesswoman, having yeah. seen her be managed by her father than herself. And I think I just need, I like to see people in different worlds, like completely different worlds to me just to get a bit of, so for me, I'm I'm going to rebel against, <laughs> I'm going to rebel against this notion that I needed to go back to what I was doing before, even though that was already quite unreasonable. Cause I think we need to be unreasonable to make change. Reason has only got us so far doing it with grace, compassion, love, but I'm, I'm going to rebel about, you know, needing to go back. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go big and see what, what new business I'm going to, um, I'm going to launch in early 2025. So I feel like I've said a little bit of everything and nothing, <laughs> <laughs> but what well, I mean, I is, think what I'm taking from that is yeah, detail. It, well, <laughs> please tell me what I mean. Um, <laughs> cause I don't actually know. Right. Um, I'm taking from that that rebellion looks like almost rebelling against your own comfort mm -hmm. stories that yeah. come up. Yeah. And saying, who are you? Yeah. You're not that person anymore. Right. That was before. Yeah. Before. By right. very definition, that yes. is no longer. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. new chapter. Yes. Uh, write the story yes. so it's almost like you're inviting yourself with what mm, you just said yeah mm. what you said Alex 
what Alex said is exactly mm-hmm. what I was saying. It's it's challenging even my own notion. That's mm. it's got to start with ourselves. It does. A common theme from this mm-hmm. amazing conversation. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Ah, pleasure. I hope you loved today's show as much as I loved bringing it to you. I want to remind you that if you are someone who craves a low-tox community that is judgment-free, full of empowerment, has health professionals and building health professionals that can support you, as well as me in there answering questions multiple times a week, I want to invite you to join the Low-Tox Club. For the price of less than a cup of coffee a month, you have an annual membership for $49 Australian, so it's about $30 US or Euro that allows you to have a member masterclass every single month with a health professional or global expert from the podcast where we have them to ourselves for an hour to ask questions and deep dive further. You have the beautiful supportive chat group. You have Q and A's with me, me answering questions. We read books and talk about them and a whole bunch more. You can head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option on that list. Of course, we have over 10 evergreen courses that you can jump into anytime, whether it's navigating everyday low-tox swaps with our Go Low-Tox signature course, whether you have kids and you're wanting to know how to best support them with our low-tox kids course, whether you're planning a family and looking at a healthy low-tox preconception journey, reducing inflammation, especially the chronic kind with our Inflammation Ninja course, many, many other courses. You can again head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the courses tab and you'll see all of the options, which includes a business course, my Low Tox Method program. A lot of people don't know, but uh, I was doing a lot before starting Low Tox Life in 2009. And I was a business consultant across hospitality, health, retail, and cosmetics. I have been in business consulting for a very long time. So I absolutely adore helping people move into the low-tox space or develop their low-tox businesses. So that's a way I can support you. And then, of course, there's our wonderful social media communities at Low-Tox Life on Instagram and, of course, the website with over 250 gluten-free recipes, blogs, downloadable PDFs to help you navigate wanting to get rid of synthetic fragrances in your school or office. I could go on. So head to lowtoxlife.com, see what takes your interest or fancy. And thank you so much for being a part of our podcast community. I love, love, love reading your reviews. I appreciate every follow and subscribe. And I want to just remind you to finish off that if there's anything you heard that you found interesting from a medical or scientific perspective, it is intended as education only. Please always chat to a health professional who knows you and your situation best. I'll See you next week. Bye.